0: Bruin Success, where we talk to UCLA alumni and explore the many paths to success beyond UCLA. I'm your host, Katie Russo, and today I'm lucky to be joined by Dave Eisman, Managing Director at Goldman Sachs and Head of the Northwest Region and Co-Head of the firm's West Region Advisory Group in the Investment Banking Division. In addition, he serves on the Board of Directors of the UCLA Foundation. Dave earned a B.A. and M.A. in philosophy from UCLA in 1992 and a J.D. from Columbia Law School in 1995. Dave, welcome to Bruin Success. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today.
1: Thanks, Katie, and uh, appreciate all that you're doing for the UCLA community as well.
0: Thanks. Thank you. So to start us off, um, what does a day in the life look like for you as managing director for Goldman Sachs? And... Um, With that, what is the biggest challenge and reward for you in your job?
1: Sure. So uh, I'd say, first of all, I'm in a client-facing capacity uh, and a lot of corporate clients, and that means that what we do reflects what they do and what their needs are, uh, and it typically reflects spending time with them. So I would say, on average, there's probably a couple days of my week that are spent traveling, and those are maybe in the region or, or further away. And when I give you an average, that could include... A week in asia and then no travel the next week or it could include a day trip down to your neck of the woods in la katie and see a client coming back the same day um wow so that's that's sort of a sense of you know the travel aspect of it and spending time with clients uh and typically those trips you'll see you know two three four clients hopefully uh on a trip and uh those those will be you know meetings that are an hour or two depending on the topic and and the audience uh, and then a lot of days when we're either in town or in the office, it'll be a, a lot of conference calls. Uh, and so spending time with clients in that capacity, the Zoom part of this is is newer for all of us, but we're okay. adjusting yeah. well to it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then time with internal teams to think about uh, either content or analytics that are going to be shared with our client or that are responsive to some of the things we're working on. And then there's, you know, there's more specific things that we do that I specifically do, uh, whether that's uh, mergers and acquisitions. And so if we're selling a company, there's a lot of time spent preparing for that and and spending time on site with the company. As we do that, um, we take companies public, obviously I took as an example, Levi's public last year, uh, iconic name. And there's a lot of time spent preparing the company, uh, for some of the marketing that they're going to do for some of the transactional components. Uh, so it really, it's, it, it fluctuates. Um, but I'd say most of it's client driven and, uh, and then you asked about what What are the biggest challenges? What What's rewarding? I'd say a lot of that uh, is is around people, frankly. And so it's you know fun when you've built good relationships with with clients. Uh, it's great to be able to give them advice that they need and care about and benefit from. Uh, and I would say it's also a lot of fun for me today. Probably more so than I would have said this ten years ago. But today um, I get a lot of gratification, frankly, from seeing people that work with me uh, and that I work with as partners uh, doing well themselves. And so it's it's been fun for me to see uh, some of the younger generation grow up, be successful, get to see them go on and do other things both yeah. inside of Goldman Sachs and outside.
0: That's awesome. That's great. And I bet for you such a um rewarding or meaningful part of the process to work with the client from probably like you know beginning phase start to potentially if someone's getting sold or you know there's an you know M&A deal or something like that for you to be able to kind of like be with them throughout that process and get them to the point where they're you know successful and things like that so I bet that's pretty rewarding as well
1: yeah no it really is and it's it's uh it's fun to see these things start to finish and you know you Sometimes read about things once they've actually happened. Right, I but was going to say you, we just get the headlines. Right, yeah. when you're working behind the scenes, it's it's uh, sometimes there can be you know many many years. And listen, one of the challenges of the job, uh, I, I would say, is 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 having a sense of cadence, right, and mm. not getting too high or too low because I'm I'm sort of tip of the spear. I'm I'm a right. team leader effectively for a lot of people that are working around clients. And listen, sometimes we lose things and that, that, that's no fun. It hurts. And yeah. um, we win things that are uh, very exciting and, and you got to avoid getting too high or too low. Yeah. Otherwise, your emotional state tends to fluctuate almost too much to be effective. Right.
0: Yeah, that's, no, that's good advice too, for sure. So how did you go from UCLA philosophy student to managing director at Goldman Sachs? And along that journey, what were maybe some of the pivotal moments that you feel shaped your career most?
1: Are you, I, I mean, is the implication that that's not an obvious path for most people to go from <laughs> philosophy to... I
0: mean, um, philosophy to oh
1: <laughs> Exactly. So um, listen, I had an interest in philosophy just based on what I had done in high school and some of what I got exposed to at UCLA. Uh, and so I pursued that. And one of the things I'd say for young people is don't be afraid to pursue things that are interesting to you as long as they're building some sort of skill set that you think you can utilize later on. And I think that um, the one thing I would say again, it seems a little esoteric, but uh, philosophy has a, a heavy component of uh, analytical thinking, and there was a big, you know, symbolic logic component to it at UCLA at the time. And that was an important part of the department and uh, a lot of other aspects that hopefully allow you to think clearly. So, um, what I would say is for you know for for younger people, don't be shy about about exploring your interests. So that being said, um, for me, I didn't have a lot of exposure to uh, anything like Goldman Sachs or the finance industry through UCLA. It wasn't something that people, you know, had sort of a path toward. Generally speaking, there were—I'm sure there were people that did find their way. Um, but for me, I actually decided to go to law school, uh, and I decided to do it partly because I thought it would be a good general foundation for a lot of things I was generally interested in around business markets, um, you know, corporate activity. Uh, and I thought it'd be probably additive in the future. Um, and so I decided as well that it would probably be a good experience for me to live somewhere besides the West Coast, since I'd grown up on the West Coast and at the time anticipated going back to the West Coast. So I did I did that. I went to law school at Columbia, except I ended up staying on the East Coast for quite some time. I didn't expect to stay there, you know, 15 plus years. Um, but that's what happened is I, I I went and ended up working for a law firm in New York, Uh, doing mostly corporate uh, M&A and financing. And then uh, I did have the opportunity through that to work with Goldman Sachs and had a colleague at the time who left, went to Goldman Sachs. And I thought it would be an interesting area for me um, just because I I felt like it was uh, almost utilizing all the capabilities and skills that I'd built plus building on others. And so I had the opportunity in 1998 to go across to Goldman Sachs initially in the Mergers and Acquisitions Department uh, and then stayed at Goldman for about 10 years in New York. Uh, came out to the West Coast when there were some needs for client coverage. Uh, and you know, someone they would anticipate becoming more senior on the West Coast. So initially went to LA because even then we were uh, pretty agnostic about where people are physically because they travel a lot. There's a lot of ability to work on, uh, at the time phones and Blackberries, no longer yeah. Blackberries quite as frequently. <laughs> Yeah. Um but um and then the last component of it is in um, two thousand and sixteen, uh, David Solomon, who's now the CEO of Goldman Sachs, but but at the time was running our investment banking business, asked me about the possibility of moving to Seattle with my family. Um, we wanted to think about growing our footprint here with a senior person in the region in addition to the existing uh, group of people that were covering private clients uh, in the in the region. And at the time, it was sort of funny because we talked about, you know, there was a trillion dollars of market cap uh, in, in Seattle or in the Northwest region, if you include companies like Nike that are a little further outside of, of Seattle. And, um, and today, that almost seems kind of amusing because we've got individual companies uh, that are a trillion dollars in market cap, and the region has really grown tremendously.
0: Wow. Yeah. And I think that's um, such a fascinating story and kind of hearing your career path, it's super interesting. And also, I love your advice of, you know, encouraging young people, and students to major or study something that they're interested in, because you'll, you'll find ways even, you know, if you're interested in a lot of different things, you can find jobs or find industries that allow you to utilize, you know, a diverse skill set and things like that. So I think that's so important to focus on, you know, you don't have to be an econ major to work at Goldman, right? And um, so just thinking of your background and your career, I think that's, that's really great advice.
1: We tend to look for people we want to be spending time with if we got to be on, on the phone or in meetings at two in the morning, not, to, not the person who <laughs> right. necessarily knows how to draw. Right, putting shows. out a
0: fire. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So in our current situation, um, I wanted to ask from your perspective, how is COVID um, playing out on banking and the economy? And what do you foresee after this is over?
1: So, uh, look, it's a great question. I mean, first of all, let me say, I think we're very uh, concerned about the, the way that coronavirus is impacting um, a number of communities across the world, and um, I think a lot, of, a lot of concern for the people directly impacted by it. Um, that's the first point. The second point is, um, you know, having lived through the last, you know, 10 years, let's call it, uh, the last time something like this happened was the financial crisis. And so from the perspective of someone that sits in the, uh, the banking or the financial industry, uh, banks were at the center of that. In part, they were the cause of it or were perceived to be the cause of it and, and were at ground zero. Today, I think it's a very different experience because banks are not only not the uh, sort of cause of what's going on or were perceived to be that way, but are also an, an enabler of financings that are going to help clients. Um, and obviously a conduit for capital to go from uh, now with some of the uh, you know, business loan programs for for that, Ah, uh, capital to go from the government out into the community. So that that part feels a lot different than it did, you know, last time around. I think that um, you know the challenging part of what's happening today, from a from an anticipation or a, a projection standpoint, is you have uh, a a virus, a pandemic that nobody really understands. Um, until fairly recently, there were a lot of questions about how will both the federal and the state governments respond to that. And then the third is what are the ways that the uh, business community and in particular consumers will respond to those first two things. Uh, And so there's just a tremendous amount of uncertainty. I I, I think we're, you know, certainly hopeful that things can come back in the second half of 2020. um, But I think a lot of concerns about the lasting impact of uh, debt levels and obviously a lot of, um, a lot of challenges and and churn in the economy. Listen, what we do is a first derivative of uh, consumer and corporate behavior. And so uh, to answer your question, what role will banking play uh, at large as things recover? The answer is it's going to depend a lot about how things recover. And so uh, in the immediate near term, uh, some of the things we've been spending a lot of time on are financing businesses that need capital, that need liquidity to get to the other side of this crisis. Um, hopefully, we will be financing and are financing and working with a lot of companies that will be helping to find cures, find technologies that will help people going forward. Um, as I think about uh, other parts of our business, so we started a consumer uh, division at, at Goldman Sachs uh, in, in in the last several years, and you know one of the things that was that that, that was built around was to create a digitally native platform for people that could, you know, have their deposits with us and also it was a it was an ability to generate loans to those same consumers and so that's an example of trying to meet the consumer or meet the economy where it's going. Uh, I think we'll see a lot more of that and I think, you know, we're still trying to figure out every day where is this going to go and we spend a tremendous amount of time thinking about, you know, where our clients going to evolve, but I think we'll end up being a first derivative of that as I said before.
0: Yeah. Definitely! Wow, that's yeah, super interesting. Last, last
1: thing I should wow. say, by the way, yeah, um, the, I think I think um, you know, work from home. You know, ninety-eight percent of our workforce is working from home today, and yeah. quite successfully. I think a lot of other uh, large institutions are seeing that. Uh, that will be a really interesting trend to follow. I think the you know the the, the uh, one of the components that will be interesting in big urban environments is how does that affect commercial real estate? How big yeah. companies use real estate? Totally. Uh, so, I, I think we're going to see a lot more flexibility around that.
0: Yeah, no, that that's a great point, and so many great points that you made. And it's also just interesting to hear the comparison and, and even the comparing and contrast between the last financial crisis and just how the different role that banking's playing in it. And so, I think, like you said, so many things still unknown, and just we're all leaning into this together as we gather more information, analyze different things, and try to prepare as best we can. Um, but yeah, super interesting to to hear your perspective there. So my next question is, um, given your role at Goldman working with many of the firm's most important clients in retail, consumer, and food sectors, I know you had a significant role in the Amazon and Whole Foods deal a few years ago. In terms of companies that you interact a lot with that face the consumer, what has this deal meant for Amazon and do you feel it is something that they would do again?
1: So I think if uh, they had to do it again, they probably would. I, I don't. I don't know that for sure, but um, <laughs> I'm pre- pretty confident of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think particularly, I think particularly in this environment. I mean, I, I was um, joking with uh, one of my friends and 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 clients that that worked on it and really spearheaded it for Amazon. That uh, it, it looks even more prescient today than it than it looked at the time. And I think a lot of people thought it was uh, a fairly significant marriage of uh, online and offline commerce. Um, I think, listen, from, from their standpoint, they got two things. They got a phenomenal brand, uh, and it was something that could only further embed them in daily consumption patterns for the American consumer. Uh, and so when you look at what's going on right now, the opportunity for Amazon to be, you know, even more at your doorstep every day uh, with Whole Foods and thinking about the essential aspect of what they're able to provide uh, consumers, I think, um, you know, that that's great for consumers, frankly. Uh, as people don't want to necessarily leave and, and and they've already, you know, got their system and their logistics with Amazon. And I think it's probably uh, great for Amazon. So I think, you know, the answer is yes. I, I think they would probably uh, opt to do that again if I had to. Bet. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I would imagine. My follow-up question to that too is from a business relationship standpoint, what does it take um, for a firm like yours to cultivate that partnership? Or what does it take to get that call from Amazon in the first place?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, listen, I, I, I would only half jokingly say, you know, refer back to the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour, you know, framework. Um, listen, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of relationship building that goes into, uh, these things. And, and, and part of that, you know, when I say that, it doesn't just mean spending time with people and, and doing fun things. It means, uh, working together in a way that they can see kind of your thought process. You can see their pro- thought process. You can be responsive to what they're looking for. And so, you know, a big firm like Amazon will have, numerous banking relationships. Um, but we had the good fortune of being able to be in dialogue with them about a certain range of things over what was really a 10-year period. I mean, I started working with them uh, many, many years, and, and a large team uh, started working with them many, many years before that, that happened, and, and, and they reached out. Um, and so I would just say, um, you know, a lot of it's sort of how people see you work day to day and being responsive. And again, the tough thing about these these big relationships, if you're in a firm that that does what we do, is you don't know for sure that you're going to get any one of those calls on any given yeah, day. Right. Uh, and so you can invest a lot of time and energy and feel like, boy, I wish I really would have been that been that person that got that call, I've been the firm that got that call. Uh, and so it's it's gratifying, uh, you know, when something like that works out. But as I said before, you know, the amount of uh, investment, time, and anxiety that can go in behind the scenes is uh, cannot be understated. Cannot be right, understated. right.
0: <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, congrats again on that. And I I would agree. I, I feel like my hunch would be same as yours. I think Amazon would do it again, for sure, especially now. So as a member of the board of directors of the UCLA Foundation, can you share with listeners the purpose of the UCLA Foundation and what you hope to accomplish as a leader on the foundation board?
1: Sure. So um, the, the foundation itself is a pool of capital that's dedicated to supporting and helping uh, the broader campus at UCLA uh, and the community and all the activities that that people are undertaking in terms of research and teaching. Um, and uh, and so you know there's there's a lot of different components of what people are doing on the board. It's it's a humbling board to be around because the people invest so much time and energy and and, and resources. Uh, in UCLA, it's it's um, it's extraordinary, uh, and so it's easy to feel like Boy, I can't do enough to keep up with the Joneses. Um, and it's great for UCLA that people are willing to spend that time and energy and, yeah. and uh, love it. So um, I'd say you know some people are directly involved in working with the folks that are actually directing investment of that capital. Um, I'd say on the broader board, I think everybody wants to be involved in uh, helping to raise the profile, of the foundation, but also specifically to help to raise capital and resources, whether that's their own activities uh, or encouraging other people to do that. Um, and, and, and then the third is, I think it's a group of people that just wants to contribute whatever they can to the community. Uh, and so I think we're all always looking for ways to try and do that. I think from my standpoint, hopefully there's some elements of my background or my experience set that can contribute to that. Um, but uh, I'd I'd say I, I don't necessarily come at it with a specific desire to contribute in a certain way. It's more trying to be as helpful as I can to the needs of the foundation, really to the needs of the broader UCLA community.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. And yeah, that makes sense. I was going to say, I'm sure as I was looking at some of the members on that board, I feel like there's, there's just, wow, so much value and knowledge in that pool of people that are contributing to making UCLA a better place and the, you know, UCLA community. So yeah, that's wonderful. So my final question for you is since leaving UCLA, how has your career and life experiences shaped how you define success?
1: It's a good question. Um, well, I'd say in a, in, a, in a word, probably time and how you spend your time. Um, I think it's it's probably one of the uh, scarcest commodities that any of us have in our lives. And I think you go through phases earlier in your life where you're trying to, you know, either get your education and your and your and your sort of skill set base that'll allow you to succeed in a career. When you get to the early and the middle parts of a career, you're really um, sort of on a on a you know, track to try and make sure you can advance yourself and you're going to make a lot of sacrifices to do that. Um, and I think today I kind of look at it and say to myself, boy, what, what time, how, how am I able to spend my time? And a lot of times that means I want to be able to be with my family. Uh, when, when that's an opportunity, I want to make sure I can uh, integrate that with uh, doing interesting things in my job. I, I really feel very fortunate. The platform I have to spend time with, um, you know some of the world's most interesting clients great people uh, and and get to work with just an extraordinary group of people at Goldman Sachs um, but but that's a choice every day is that are you going to spend your time that way or are you going to do something else and then i think the last thing for me is you know, i've got a lot of other things i like to do outside of work uh, and 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 i won't say outside of family but things my family tolerates uh, in terms of you know outdoor activities or whatever it is and so um, yeah i think that i think the single biggest thing is how do you how you get to spend your time? And uh, each person has their own, you know, things that they may want to accomplish, uh, whether it's an activity, you know, a, a career goal, uh, you know, some sort of philanthropic goal. Um, but I think you know having some control over that is probably the you know biggest luxury we, we we can all have.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really I love that perspective too because when you think about it, you're I think spot on that time is and how we spend it. That's what you know ends up allowing us to feel you know, fulfilled or happy, or, you know, if we're not getting to have enough time for our hobbies, then maybe we're, you know, a little more depressed than usual, things like that. So I feel like, you know, um, I think that's a great way of looking at it. And I, I really appreciate that perspective. So yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for taking time, um, you know, to join us today and for our conversation. I really enjoyed getting to learn more about your career and your journey from UCLA to Goldman Sachs. So thank you so much for all you do for UCLA and our community to make it a better place now and in the future. Um, we're very appreciative to, to have you on board. So thank you so much for your time again.
1: Thank you, Katie. I really appreciate the opportunity to spend time with you.
0: You've been listening to Bruin Success. Our guest this week was David Eisman, Managing Director at Goldman Sachs. You can find more information on David in the description of the podcast. Follow Partnership UCLA Alumni Career Programs on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with Bruin Success. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe to it, tell a friend, or share your appreciation on social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time we're back with another inspiring Bruin. This podcast was made possible by UCLA alumni.